I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church. I'm not really sure what I believe anymore, and I'm okay with that. I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff, and I'm an evangelical. Ah, oh, great. You can tell us all the Christ figures in the MCU today. This is Veterans of Culture Wars. <laughs> Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have conversations about evangelical Christianity, except when we don't, and we talk about movies. It is movie night at the VCW, and it is our third annual Best Movies edition. Uh, so I I think uh, the loose connection we make with these episodes about movies is whether we are an evangelical, an ex-evangelical, a different kind of Christian, a member of another religion, or a non-believer Maybe we can all agree on having more compassion and empathy for our fellow humans, and a great way to do that is through interacting with movies and that kind of artwork. Zach has quoted Roger Ebert on this show before, and we shall do so again. The movies are like a machine that generates empathy. So that is our aim tonight in talking about our experiences at the movies last year, including talking about our favorite movies of 2022, and not just us. We have two guests with us, two, and Zach will introduce our first one. Oh, uh, we don't have an order picked, but I'm going to go with uh, first in, first introduced. So uh, I, I was thinking of wrestler announcement, but that would have been weighing in at 100 at, no, <laughs> in one corner. We have from Chicago, from Brightwall Dark, Dark Room, previous guest talking about the Alien series, and uh, the the uh, uh, Midnight Mass uh, uh, television show, we have Sarah Welch Larson. Hello, I am here with hey. a count of all of the swear words in every single one of these movies, and we're going to spend the entire time just talking about that. Very good. Excellent. I, I hope you left it I with wonder, dashes, though. I wonder if any of them beats the uh, number of F-bombs in uh, The Big Lebowski. Because oh. for like an hour and a half... Uh, what is it, 250 or something? I don't know, but I could bring that count up if you really need someone to start swearing on a podcast. <laughs> we can try. We can try. No, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about the Oscar nominees by Enneagram. Um, oh boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, you know, all quiet on the Western Front. Clearly a nine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know the Enneagram well enough yeah, to, be able I don't to assign know, those know, numbers. I, I know which one I am, but then I don't remember the others. And I think Same. that's probably part of my Enneagram number is apparently not caring at all about other yeah, there's stuff. <laughs> In the other corner from yes. uh Seattle, Washington, God's United States, we have returning guest Jeffrey Overstreet. Welcome to our Rainbow Connection, Jeffrey. You you guys never learned. You you brought me back after after the last couple of times. I mean, really? I know, I know. Uh, you what introduced it's worth, us given up to on Sarah, so we we felt uh, we we finally wanted to 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 get the whole band together. You know. 
I've given up on the Enneagram. I, I now know what phase of the MCU I am. So that, <laughs> okay. that's, how I, that's how I find identity. Um, okay. Okay. Excellent. It is Oscar season. Are the Oscars this Sunday? I think the Oscars are March 12th. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yep. March 12th. So a couple of weeks away. Um, the Best Picture nominations have been announced. So um, maybe we should start off with just saying, what what are our thoughts on the Best Picture nominees this year? Uh, Sarah, do you want to go first? Like, what, what's your reactions looking over the list of 10 films that were nominated? It's interesting. It feels like it's a decent number of kind of more populist popular movies i don't know if that's because they allowed in 10 nominees this year but you know you have avatar the way of water you have top gun maverick um you have everything everywhere all at once which just kind of ran away with the field i feel like and i'm pretty sure is the favorite to win the best picture race at least at this point um it kind of feels as though the Oscars this year are going for a theme of maximalism, not across every single title, but certainly quite a lot of them. I mean, you have Elvis, which Elvis, is probably yeah. like the most maximalist yeah. movie I can think of, especially at well, least of last year. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Lerman. He always goes for broke. Oh, cool. He I always mean, goes for broke. And I always think that I'll be able to handle a Baz Luhrmann movie. And then I watch it and I'm like, this is too much, man. <laughs> I don't know. It feels yeah, I like. I hated Moulin Rouge. I, you know, I enjoyed it, but I think it came out at just the right time because that would have been um, fairly early. Like, what year was that again? That was like 2003 or something. 2001? I, want to oh. say, I was in college. I okay. only know that because I was in college at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't see it until college. So I would always associate it with college, but it would have come out um, before I was ready to have seen it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but that's always who I think of when I think of Boz Lerman. And I guess now I'll think of Elvis, if just because that's two hours and 45 minutes of, of just nothing but sequins. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a reminder that Tom Hanks should not do accents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Austin Butler's accents, I'm definitely on board with. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's an interesting mix. There's, I've, I have not seen Trial and... I have not seen Triangle of Sadness yet. I still haven't had a, the chance to see All Quiet on the Western Front. And part of that is just because I am I avoid war movies wherever I, I can. And every single year, there's always either a war movie or a movie about dementia or both. And those are always the movies that I've kind of held off from seeing in the hopes that they don't get nominated. And then sometimes it's a rewarding experience and sometimes it isn't, but I'm still, I'm not really looking forward to seeing All Quiet on the Western Front because I feel like at this point, I don't need to be told that war is hell. I understand that war is hell. And I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to know what y'all's thoughts are on the necessity of having another war movie, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm cranky about it. Jeffrey, uh, any reactions to the best picture nominee list or having another war movie on there? Well, I'm at a point in my relationship with the with the Oscars where friends of mine send me sympathy cards during Oscar season because they know they know that I'm suffering. Um, I, I hate the whole idea of art as a competition, um, but it's always interesting to look at these and see what they what they suggest about sort of where we are and about who's voting. Um, I think a lot of what we're seeing here has to do with an industry that was really desperately hoping people would come back to theaters. And what are the movies that brought people brought people back to theaters? Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. All three of those were big theater scores, packed the houses, 
week after week after week, and in some cases, month after month after month. Um, and so I feel like those are here in part, uh, and especially the first two I mentioned, um, as a sort of thank you for saving our industry. Um, having said that, I mean, there are passionate defenders of Avatar The Way of Water and, and even more passionate defenders of Maverick. Um, and But I think everywhere, everything everywhere all at once covers more Oscar bases, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, I mean, it's got so many acting nominations. It's got so many nominations uh, altogether. Um, uh, to put in a, a plug of defense for All Quiet on the Western Front, I'm sick of war movies too. I mean, the last war movie I really loved uh, was Terrence Malick's war movie. <laughs> and that takes us back to 1999. Yeah, um, The Thin Red Line, but, yeah. But the fact is that almost every war movie we've ever seen owes something to All Quiet on the Western Front, the original, mm. the book, the original film. And it feels necessary for there to be a German All Quiet on the Western Front because that's the story. That's who wrote it. That's where it comes from. And we've only had um, um, other interpretations of that story so um I, I i was eager to see it because of what i'd read about it and i'm really really glad i saw it i i feel like as a movie it really works it has very memorable images mm. um and it's one of the rare war movies that does not and i can't think of a single instance in this film that glorifies violence and what i mean by that is not necessarily having a hero do something great by killing someone else. What I mean is, where does the energy of the movie go? Um, movies can preach and preach and preach against violence, but when you really look at the movie and you see where is the filmmaker clearly most excited, we we can see that it's the violence, it's the it's the setting up these awe-inspiring shock and awe battle scenes. That um, that's the, that's what this is really about. That's what we're here for. So I feel like war movies more often than not undercut their own um, pacifistic poses. This is a very, very anti-war war movie. Hmm. Um, nobody is glorified for violence and there is no no violent strike that is given a pass. Um, and so I felt like it was a necessary uh, contribution to the genre. Having said that, boy, I don't think anybody needs to go see it. <laughs> right. Um, um, it's just very, very well made. Yes. I, I read um, the book a very, you know, like in high school. So it's been a very long time, but I, so I don't remember everything that happened in the book, but I, I, I read that I believe uh, the major addition to the movie that was outside of the book is there's this whole side story of a peace treaty negotiation happening <laughs> and uh, 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 representatives from the German military and the, the other, you know, countries coming, coming together in a place uh, that is fairly lavish compared to what we are seeing on the battlefields. And they are very much not in any danger and they are uh, clearly enjoying their stature and having very gentlemanly conversations about these things. Uh, and it sets up a good contrast of of how how we're seeing what how the decisions are being made about 
about these boys dying, you know, to, to the point of like, I don't know if it's a spoiler, you know, the book's very old or whatever, but, yeah. but, you know, there's after, after a treaty is agreed upon, it's not going to go in place for another two hours or something. I'm like, all right, well, we're still going to send guys out there and we're still going to, going to have more guys killed because there's still two hours before this kicks in. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just yeah utterly pointless. Mm-hmm. Existentially absurd. Yeah. And that, that's, a, a ringing theme through the whole movie. I mean, just very, very sad. And the contrast between the brutal war scenes and, and like both of you were talking about politicians dressed in fancy suits, sitting in ornate rooms, just, you know, making deals like it's a, a game of chess when entire generations on both sides, Germans, French, whoever else is being wiped out, uh, just horrifically sad. Um, so in that sense, it's, like a lot of other war movies but i i think the cinematography the you know i i really liked it we'll we'll get to that when we come to the top I'll, 10 list i'll just say but, that the 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 moment that really stuck out to me was early on when our our young uh would be soldiers want to be soldiers uh, uh soldiers to be uh they're not actually old enough they lie about their age but they go to get their uniforms and and one of them finds that there's a name tag that's not his and he has he makes the assumption that they put the wrong name tag on it was intended for somebody else but we as the audience understand that that is the uniform of a dead soldier that they closed yeah. up the bullet holes that they're supposed to be removing the tag and putting on a new one for the one who's about to wear it and be surely sent off to die as well we don't know how many times somebody has died in this exact uniform um yeah. but there's a good chance it's more than one and yeah. that that well, was and- that was really something and not to be a devil's advocate, but more of a pacifist advocate here. <laughs> Banshees of Inisherin is a war film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick is a war film. Mm-hmm. Avatar: The Way of Water is a war film. Definitely a war yep. film. Um, yep. There, it's just a sort of a degree of zooming in on particular characters and a degree of noise really i mean there aren't many quiet films on this list um banshees may be the quietest on this list um women talking yeah i'd say women talking relative to the others is Mm -hmm. is fairly fairly quiet um but again i think that has to do with the oscars wanting to celebrate the the big screen surround sound spectacle um and i have a feeling um and this isn't a complaint, but I have a feeling that the awards are going to go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they go to everything everywhere all at once, that is a big screen surround sound spectacle. Um, fortunately, I think in that case, we're getting art on almost every level uh, mm-hmm. compared to some of the others. And I guess the if you want to slice it that way, it could also potentially count as a war film. It just happens to be yeah, more sure. on a much more personal level. So point well, taken, per- that makes perfect sense. Well, and the well, Gospel pers- Coalition would say with Women Talking is a war film. It's the war on Christianity. <laughs> oh, good. Um, oh, no. It's showing us the evils of of patriarchy. And and clearly, clearly, this is a film that that hates Christian Christians and hates God. Oh, my. Um, no. Are we are we going there? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we I briefly mentioned it on on a previous episode, but I I found that piece to be so insane. Um, yes, and it too. was written by somebody I have known since college. And me too. Well, uh, not since college, but, yeah. but um, you know, he introduced me to, to Terrence Malick films. Uh, and mm. it was it was a real bummer to see his take on that. Uh, but there's a lot of bummer takes that come from the Gospel Coalition in general. Um, yeah. 
It but, reminded me of, do you guys remember the, was it movie guy that did a review of There Will Be Blood and was characterizing that as an anti-Christian movie? That was Barbara Nicolosi uh, mm. on her blog that was, that was uh, of act one writing for Hollywood that oh. was um, arguing that There Will Be Blood is, is just one example of uh, many Hollywood films out to make Christianity the enemy. Hmm. Hmm. by okay. by concocting this this wild um completely unacceptably uh grotesque version of an evangelist and i just i just sat there thinking have you turned on your tv today i can find <laughs> you right. an example yeah. i can find you an example of this just about anywhere uh um, yeah i would hope so, that i mean today as, it would be even more obvious i mean yeah because as a committed christian it's not like you know people can use christianity as an institution or sincere christians do very bad things i mean that's that's reality it's not maybe a necessarily reflection on jesus but it's you know churches abuse churches do bad things they need to be called out but I, that that reminded me of the women talking discourses i just wanted to note so dave has not seen women talking yet um it's that and triangle of sadness i believe those are my two i have not seen that's, that's exactly. the two of the yep. best picture nominees you haven't seen okay um this is for me this is actually the very first year i think that i saw all the nominees in the theater oh um, wow. wow yeah i feel really good about that it was and i I always feel like well if i didn't see it in a theater it's hard to really tell if i liked it more than this or that because i didn't have a uniform experience with the others although we'll get into our favorite films of the year for a lot of us uh among the best movies of the year was one that was not available to see in the theaters. But um, of the nominees, the only one that shows up on all of our favorites list is everything everywhere all at once. Hmm. Is, is that, is that one that we would all, if it, if it won best picture, it sounds like we'd be like, yeah, okay. I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. I'd, be, I'd be on board with it. It wouldn't be my first choice out of this field. I think I'd probably hand it over to tar um, hmm. if I could. But um, I would not be disappointed if everything everywhere won the horse race that is the Oscars. Yeah, I was going to say if it's if it's this field, I think I'd probably give it to either Banshees or Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, partly because Everything Everywhere All at Once, the the performances, the ensemble performances are so extraordinary. They're they're strong in women talking too. But I think of these titles, and I hate to say it because I love women talking. Um, is the least cinematic of these it's the film where there i am not going to recall particular images mm -hmm. i am going to recall particular things that are said mm -hmm. and right. cinema is primarily moving pictures and there are images all the way through everything everywhere all at once that i will never forget <laughs> um and a lot of that has to do with the cast um, a lot of it also has to do with the extraordinary uh, uh, extremes they went to in handmade special effects. This is not made by a thousand digital artists. This is made by a small team of people who had typically only made music videos. And they fill the, the screen is so full of amazing and surprising things to look at uh, and to know that it was it came so personally and so in such a hands-on way. Um, I want more of that at the movies. And so while I do think that everything everywhere all at once is about 20, 25 minutes too long, uh, and every time I've seen it, I've felt that way, I still come away every time glad I saw it again because I noticed so much more I'd missed the first time. Yeah. 
I saw it five yeah. times in the theater. Oh, not, five not, times, and, really? And it's not even my favorite film of the year. It wow. was just something. It was it was something where everybody wanted a communal experience with it, right? So I first saw it with a couple friends, and then uh, Kevin Nye, who's been a guest on this podcast, he was in town when it was playing, and he wanted to see it, so we saw it together. You, Jeffrey, and I saw it together, right. and then my my wife and I were able to get a date, and she hadn't seen it, so we went and saw it, and then we both talked about it afterwards, and we we're like, I think our our oldest kid could actually see this, so I took him to see it. <laughs> so so I saw it five times with other people seeing it for the first time. Um, oh, that's a delight. Four that's different great. theaters. Um, and wow, and it, I, I, I feel I, as we're talking about it here and, and all the new ideas and, and memorable imagery and stuff, I don't think there's, there's been a film that sort of in, injected something in, into the culture that was, that was new and that we all like, like experience together and understand and is going to stick with us since like the sunken place, uh, concept, uh, mm-hmm. from, from, um, <laughs> the name escapes, you know, from get out. Yeah. Um, mm. and, but it had like 10 of those things, <laughs> had, you know, hot dog hands. <laughs> I was it's, using an animated, that means now. I was using an animated gif of, of, um, Stephanie Shu just going bagel, um, yeah. just today, just today, because that's a new, that's a new part of my vocabulary. It's very useful. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, nice. every, the everything on a bagel thing, <laughs> like, like all of that. <laughs> Jeffrey, you 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 mentioned women talking is one of your favorites, and and I do agree with the 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 cinematic nature of it makes me knock it down a little. Like I don't know if it was the theater that I was in, but it, I felt that it was hard to see a lot of the time, which is normally something you complain about with like the Batman or something. But I I felt <laughs> yeah, I felt like it was so desaturated um, that there was just a whole lot of grays and blacks uh, going on. Uh, even though it's taking place like in in a barn and there's fields everywhere, like somehow these fields looked like like all the grass was dry and dying or something, you know. Um, and and so there was there wasn't a lot of imagery that stuck with me, but I I likened it to uh the film Mass from a few years ago, which I know you enjoyed as well, which was very yes. much like this this could be a play if it if it wasn't already written to be that. Um, let's get a handful of actors in a room and give them some really meaty stuff and watch them go to it. And, and it was amazing. And it, it was, it was a, a marvelous experience to behold, but visually it certainly left a lot to be desired. But what, what do you think about um, the, the, the religious nature of it, the, the theological implications that the sort of stuff that, that, uh, the gospel coalition would 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 claim as a negative depiction of christians what what do you think the the film was getting at that that so moved you in matters of faith i i feel like it it's it's such a remarkable text more than a movie because i'm so used to situations like this being pounced on by artists and filmmakers to say look at how awful religion is um and what i saw um felt 
very true in that everyone is religious in some way or another. But true religion is faithfulness to the core of, 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 of well, in this case, Christianity. And who is being faithful here? Uh, this is a story about an isolationist community, and that's always a red flag. Uh, because if you decide that the response to the world and its evils is to withdraw, you are naive in, the, in that you are now separating yourself from any sources of help and bringing your own sources of evil with you. And this community is being isolated with its own sources of evil. That evil flourishes. Uh, men start overpowering the women using not only physical force, um, um, tranquilizer, uh, but also um, turning their own scriptures against the weak, which is a fundamental betrayal of the Christian scriptures. And what blew my mind, and I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of an example uh, that, um, that I can sort of pair it with, is that this film shows the women leaning into their own scriptures and finding the betrayals and saying, we are going to be true to the scriptures, and the scriptures say this. I was so excited to see um, Sarah Polly um, drawing from this novel by, and forgive me, I have not heard anyone say her last name out loud, so I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's Miriam Toes, maybe, um, or Taos, um, drawing from her novel, preserving so much of that um, explicit um, chapter and verse references to the scriptures to say, this is not what the gospel is about. And if we are going to be faithful to ourselves, faithful to each other, faithful to God, um, if we are going to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we are going to um, serve the least in this situation, serve the weak in this situation, serve the poor. And um, that let I mean I I was just slack jawed in disbelief in the theater that I was hearing such a testament to the glory of the scriptures and the heart of the gospel as they seek to serve each other in this situation and at this in this time and place in this era um, in America to in front of audiences on a grand canvas say. The Bible is being abused. The Bible is being distorted. The Bible is being exploited by the power-hungry and the sexists and the um, um, sort of the old boys club, really. Um, I, I just felt, you know, the truth will set you free. And I heard the truth spoken. And I just, I just felt like, finally, finally, I am hearing this kind of truth in a movie theater. When does that happen? And to see such great actresses sinking their teeth into that script, I just wish there had been a stronger sense behind the camera. I wish there had been uh, a stronger visual artist at work because I think it's possible. But the actresses did a lot with what they were given. And um, frankly, so did Ben Whishaw, who, you know, the only yeah. strong male character in the, the only the only male character at all, if I'm not mistaken, unless you count some of the children you see in the background. Um, he gives us a, a necessary example that this movie is not condemning men. This movie is condemning certain men. <laughs> right. Um, and so I was very, very glad for that, that example. 
Um, it didn't feel like a token to me. It felt necessary. There's something lost in the translation from the book there because the book is from his point of view, even though it's written by a woman. Mm. So it's important that he be there. He's one of the main characters. Um, but he does, I think in the movie, you run the risk of him seeming a little more like a token character because it's not the story through his eyes. Um, anyway, all that to say, I have a feeling it's it's high on my list more for somewhat personal reasons than for me saying I think it's one of the five greatest five or ten greatest works of cinema this year, if that makes any sense. Right, it's, it's, uh, man. It's I... minding it's minding a gap that really needs to be minded at the movies. I and do I, I do I, feel that it's one that it's gonna hold up watching it at home. Like I never am gonna feel mm -hmm. like oh why can't I be in a theater watching this one, you know, because yeah, it is yeah. so matter of fact in, in how it's presented. Yeah. I want well, to see it I on stage. That, mm, yeah. I would love to see that on stage too. I yeah. also think that it's quite telling that people who think of women talking as being an attack on Christianity um, have tends to have a very particular view of women's role in Christianity because yes. they seem to be treating our place in the faith as being secondary or as not important because it's it's just not held up as being a true model of the faith where like you mentioned jeffrey like these women are working out their faith with fear and trembling and they're working out a way to do it in a way that is actually true to the scriptures and much more true than anything else that they've been allowed or given in the community that they've been living in for so long and so i think treating this movie as somehow being anti-Christian is a fundamental misread of what's going on in the story here. And then also a, a f an unwillingness to be open to the idea that there are other people and other experiences whose experience of Christianity is just as true as as our own you know it, it kind of feels as though it's that empathy machine kind of kind of mm -hmm. at work again where if you are unable to see the hurt and the harm that your own beliefs have caused, um, then what is even the point here? You know, yeah. Yeah. you say it's a fundamental misreading and I'm tempted to say it's a fundamentalist misreading, but um, yes. it also <laughs> it, it supports it to take that tack and say this is an anti-Christian film is to flat out enable these kinds of abuses. You may yes. not commit them yourself, but you are deciding that the lack here comes on the side of the persecuted women. Yes. Um, anyway. Yeah. Wow. This this sounds like an incredible movie, and I really wish I would have seen it so I can add to this conversation. But I do I do want to point out, taking another track, and this was not a movie nominated for Best Picture, but it sounds sort of along these lines, but not with the religious community. And that was the film She Said, hmm. um, which has Carrie Mulligan, and this was about... Um, the New York Times reporters who busted Harvey Weinstein. And I mean, for the fundamentalists who are like, well, Hollywood always picks on religious people. I, this was a movie about them taking down a massive liberal Democrat donor, Harvey Weinstein, who was raping and assaulting women and, and doing horrible things. And um, but I, I was struck by what Jeffrey said, because I watched it and I'm like, it's a good movie. I liked it. Um, I read a review, I believe it was by Jamel Bowie, if I remember right. And he he mentioned how it was a good movie, but the filmmaking was a little pedestrian. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've wondered if the, you know, women talking, it wasn't really flashy cinema, but the performances and the the story was good. I think I think the same thing about she said. So that's interesting parallels between um, you know, two 
movies that are calling out abuses by by men with great performances. Yeah, I, I feel like she said was kind of good enough, competent filmmaking. At the very least, Women Talking did make some aesthetic choices, and I didn't fully agree with those necessarily, but it did feel like it was trying to make a statement with the choices that it made in cinematography and color grading and so on. So it, it feels a little bit more unique and distinct than she said does. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It seemed purposeful, and just I don't think it worked. Same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she said was one of those movies that it didn't make my personal top 10, but I think it... Um, watching it gave me a better sense of compassion and empathy, even though I generally knew the details of the story about Harvey Weinstein and all the horrible things that he did. To sit there and listen to reporters trying to factually get these stories from even really powerful Hollywood actresses such as Gwyneth Paltrow, and to think about what it would be like to be in their situation, like obviously being accomplished actresses, caring about their career, even being millionaires, but being afraid because of a system, a patriarchal system, which if they spoke out against this huge producer would completely destroy them or cancel them, as as people like to say. Um, all this to ask um, all of you with movies that you saw in 2022 that might not be on your personal top 10 list, but maybe moved you to a greater sense of compassion and empathy for other people. What are some of those films that, that really struck you? And Sarah, I know I saw a list before recording yes. that you really liked a movie called Neptune Frost. Oh, I yeah. had, I have never heard of this movie until I literally saw it on both you and Jeffrey's list. So um, yeah, I would love to hear about it. If you want to talk about it, Sarah. Yeah, Neptune Frost is one of those movies where I was fortunate enough to see it in um, in the theater. So I, I saw it at the Gene Siskel uh, Film Center here in Chicago. And uh, it's kind of one of those uncategorizable, it's Afrofuturism, it's kind of sci-fi, it's got elements of a musical to it. And it's, um, it's about an intersex hacker who um, meets up with a collective that is able to essentially like hack capitalist systems and bring them down. It is very <laughs> definitely not intended for primarily Western audiences, which I really appreciated. It was nice to be grabbed by the shoulders by a movie and to be told, I'm not just for you. And I think I need to be told that a little bit more. And on top of that, it's just such a beautifully like colorful and creative. There's a lot of really interesting costuming choices and set design choices that are going on on the screen. I know we talked a little bit about the handmade nature of everything everywhere all at once. And there's kind of a similar tactile feel to a lot of the costumes in Neptune Frost as well. A lot of repurposing of old technology in order to make it into something new and interesting and kind of telling a story through its aesthetics and it's it's just it's a fantastic movie it's very strange it's definitely bewildering and on purpose like there's a moment maybe a third of the way through the movie where the main character directly addresses the camera and says now you may be asking yourself what is happening and that's okay for you to be asking that question <laughs> yeah. because i will explain it to you and you may or may not like the answer that you're going to get but i'm going to give you this answer straight anyway um it was just a breath breath of fresh air 
a really fun movie to sit down and watch and be washed over and to know that I wasn't fully understanding everything that was happening and I didn't need to. And the movie wasn't going to hold my hand through it anyway, because again, the movie wasn't explicitly just for me. And that that felt like a good thing. And I feel like that's something that we all should, I don't know, experience a little bit more. I almost watched it like a week ago. It's it's free to watch on Canopy. It uh, rules. For anyone that we has should... that. Yeah, I I it definitely looks like my sort of thing. And and your description makes it sound even more like my sort of thing. So yeah. Make sure, make sure you've got a great sound system and serious subwoofers because yes. it's also a dance party. Yes. Um, I think it may be a, like stay up late and watch it with headphones on uh to really get the sound uh, mm-hmm. uh working kinda, for me. Kind of like a dance party, like Lovers Rock, uh Steve McQueen's movie from uh, a few years ago. Not like not different like kind that of at all. Uh, totally okay. Totally <laughs> um, okay. You know how in Glass in Glass Onion, the uh, the Knives Out sequel, we've got all these very, very rich people who call themselves disruptors, and they just like to create chaos yeah. for the sake of chaos to show off what they can do with no sense of the consequences. This is kind of a flip of that, where it's the most vulnerable populations who have been explo- working as, as exploited minors mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> who band together and disrupt realizing that they do have power when they band together, realizing they do have influence. And um, there are some lines in that come late in the film um, as they are using their influence online to hack and to mess things up. And I love that they're online. Um, their, their screen name is Martyr Loser King. Yes. Um, that some of the lines that they're throwing out in sort of the big speech is, this is poetry. Why not issue an attack? Crash the market, erase debt, transfer the colonial debt of independence, reveal arms sales, expose corruption, hold estates ransom. Why not make a demand? Most mining companies have headquarters in Toronto. Psychology, we feed weapons manufacturers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are just sort of launching these missiles of vocabulary and creativity um, in a way that the disruptors of Glass Onion aren't uh, for the good of everyone. Uh, to expose systemic oppression. And at the same time, and this is what made the movie sort of special for me, whereas there's so many movies right now that are about attack the rich, attack the powerful, they were having so much fun doing it. They were, (laughs) there is so much creative joy in this movie. It's sort of, it's a little like everything everywhere all at once in that sense, in that you can tell they just, they, they just said, anything goes when it comes to costumes. I have a feeling George Miller loves this movie because it has this <laughs> Mad Max edge to everything. Um, and yeah, I can't, I wish I'd seen it in a theater. I'm so jealous of Sarah. Uh, <laughs> I saw it in my, in my home office on a screen about this big, um, trying not to turn the sound up too loud to bother Anne in the next room who was editing. But um, anyway, hopefully one of these days. Yeah. All right. Turn the brightness Sarah, up you... too. Enjoy the colors because it's a yes. very colorful movie too. Yeah. Sound up, brightness up definitely try to expose as many of your senses to it as possible. Nice. Sounds good. Uh, t- definitely take that into account. Sarah, did you have um, other movies that m- maybe struck you, maybe uh, moved you spiritually or, or um, helped you think about other people in a more compassionate sense that you saw last year, not on your top 10? Oh my gosh. Um, Santo Mare, um, which is this French movie um, about a novelist who's going to um, the trial of a woman who's been accused of murdering her own child. 
and you go into this movie kind of with a similar attitude to the novelist um thinking that you know everything that's going on in that courtroom and the way that the movie is shot um feels very straightforward there's there's not a lot of particularly flashy choices that are made here a lot of the the monologues in the courtroom are shot in just a single shot but the camera doesn't move it's very static it's very um centered and, and kind of just in the middle space and occupying that middle space and as the movie goes on the trial of this young woman shakes I think everybody in the in the courtroom to their core but particularly the novelist and you come to understand that she is coming to understand herself through this other woman's experience they're both immigrants um and I I don't know it, it's a movie that I don't think that I can fully sum up I don't think that I fully understand but it's also a movie that made me rethink the way that I approach other stories because I tend to approach them thinking about what my reaction is going to be at the end like fairly early on and so to take a step back and to just watch somebody else experience somebody else's um, story in that way felt very nuanced, felt very, like, there's a very firm hand and, and a very strong artistic direction behind this movie, but at the same time, it's not telling me expressly how to think. And so I, I think the movies that I loved, including the ones on my top 10 list that made the most impact on me were the ones that just laid out a situation and said, the, here are these people, now what are you going to do with them? without telling me how to handle any of these people. There's a lot of very difficult people in the movies that I loved last year. And there are a lot of di difficult situations in the movies that I loved last year. But I think I loved them precisely because they were difficult. And I think that that's something that I want to lean into a little bit more as well. Nice. Such, a great, oh, such, a great, such a great film. Um, mm -hmm. Like Women Talking, it's pretty much confined to one place. Yes. But this is cinema because I I was just I was shocked again and again and again because the camera is so controlled. You think you know what's going on in that courtroom. Mm -hmm. And all they have to do is shift the camera slightly and you suddenly realize that someone is in the room that has been mentioned in the case that you did not know is in the room. And the fact that they are in the room changes everything. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one later where it's like, wait a minute. I had all these assumptions piling up about this character that's being talked about in the trial. Now I'm now I'm meeting the character and I realize I had no idea how complicated this is. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a very smart filmmaker. That's not the script doing the work, that's the camera doing the work. And this that this is is all coming from an actress. Um, the director is Alice Diop, who mm -hmm. is the lead actress in my favorite Claire Denis film, 35 Shots of Rum. Mm -hmm. um, it's so great to see her, to, to know that she's behind the camera in this and didn't give herself a part in it when she definitely could have. Um, there's That suggests to me that this is far more personal to her uh, than I might have guessed. Um, because while this is a movie seen through the eyes of sort of a cipher, a sort of observer character, there's just enough for us to know that what is playing out in front of her is completely changing her understanding of herself. Even as the movie plays on our presumptions that, well, the, the African characters in this room, I'm sure they understand each other. But by the end of the movie, you realize the African characters in this room 
being from different parts of Africa may as well be from different sides of the globe. Mm -hmm. They aren't even sure how much they can, they can uh, trust or understand each other as well, even in, a, in an exchanged glance. Uh, having said that, having seen uh, San Omer, I think uh, we need to give um, references to the Mona Lisa a break. I'm just going to leave that there. If you see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about because that came up in several movies this year. Yeah, I was right. so bummed that I I missed that one. I I was banking on it playing an additional week, and went to see something else instead. And then it, it didn't get. It, I think it only played for like two weeks here. Um, but I really wanted to see it. If we're going on and some some of the other smaller ones that you know we need to get our to our top tens pretty soon here, but. <laughs> I, I, yes. I put a couple on on mine that didn't quite make the cut, but I, I do think it's good to 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 try to point out particular ones that are like, okay, these are not like absolutely my favorites of the year, but there's something special. There's something distinct about this. And I, I really want to make sure that people know about it. Um one of those, uh, I know Jeffrey, you wrote beautifully about it uh, about a week ago. Uh, I, I went and saw close. Mm -hmm. uh, the the Belgian film about two, they're about twelve year old, thirteen year old uh, mm -hmm. boys who are who are best friends, and bullied because of the closeness of that friendship. You know, accused of of being gay and all that, and and the way that that fractures that relationship. And you know, it it really it 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 hit me as as you know, I have a thirteen year old who who had a an extremely close friendship uh, with with another kid since kindergarten, and and in the last couple of years, it's kind of fallen apart. Um, not due to either of them having any problem with each other, but sort of the other social forces around them of, you know, you know, this group doesn't like that group, and if you're associating with them, then that's a problem. And this this friendship was unlike any I'd really seen before or, or had as a kid for sure and it, it's it's caused me a lot of sadness to see it kind of fall by the wayside um could you could you share a little bit about close jeffrey mm -hmm. i'm not i haven't put that on my lists because my uh, my the way the way i make lists is a little different if a film doesn't open wide uh doesn't get widespread distribution in a year then i i, I decide to put it on a list in the year that it's most likely that the larger cinema audience is talking about it right um it was nominated so I for I best you know non-english speaking film right, so right yeah and i mean and i i'm 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 fine with that nomination i again it's i i loved it for somewhat personal reasons i do think uh as as a work of cinema it it leans a little too far uncomfortably far for me into sentimentality mm -hmm. as far as the way the music swells at all the right times the way the color the way the color uh, oversaturates at all the right times and i really really wish they had found another note to end on it feels a little bit like a you know here are 10 ways this movie could, this movie could end from the range of Subtle Dardenne brothers um, challenge the audience to to talk this over all the way to after school special. Uh, it feels to me like the needle swings way toward after school special on how the movie ends. So that's that I struggle with. Um, also, I mean, casting directors have got to think about, are we prioritizing who looks most beautiful on the screen or who looks most like the character that this story is about. And I think in some ways 
the characters, the young characters in this movie are kind of like, well, these are clearly the most beautiful actors who audition, so let's go with them. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, uh, the, the friendship is so specific. And I didn't know much about it going in. I was caught by surprise. I'm not going to call it the twist because it's not a twist. It's a, um, it's just a, it's, a it's just a turn point. in the narrative. Yeah. Um, but where where the movie goes is not where I thought it was going, and it ended up telling a story that I haven't been told at the movies before. And I'm always an advocate for movies about distinctive friendships, and this could so easily have become a wave your pride flag movie, and we need those. Um, but we need other movies too. And I was just relieved in a way that this was something specific and unexpected. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, there's a lot of Darden brothers influence here though. Um, as far as like where they place the camera, um, how they follow their characters. Um, and I guess it's just sort of a Belgian thing, but to me, this was sort of like, if I were to imagine a movie co-directed by the Darden brothers, and uh, Steven Spielberg, I think this would have it would have been hit right about here. Um, nice. Okay. Well, yeah, that one is on my watch list. That sounds really great. Let's go ahead and move into our top ten movies of 2022. Um, well, can can I say some? I, I got some stats about okay. uh, about the similarities of our lists. So I asked everybody to to send us beforehand their their top ten, not necessarily in any particular order, but their ten ten favorites. And uh, there were only two movies that showed up on all of our lists, uh, and that is Everything Everywhere All at Once and After Yang, uh, which is actually the no lower than number two, uh, at least on the list. I don't, you know, I know that I, I think Sarah in particular, yours, your your list is unranked, um, but it was at least the the second one listed. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Nope showed up in 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 two lists as a as a top three uh, and then wasn't on the others marcel the shell with shoes on is on three of the lists uh women talking and the fablemans and the banshees of Sharon are each on two lists and then among the four of us 21 out of our 40 total were films that weren't on anybody else's list and Sarah is the big winner for most unique list, uh, <laughs> which only three of hers showed up on anybody else's. Um, and for the record, the ones that um, were mentioned as like duplicates on other people's lists, I do still like those movies quite a lot. It's just that when you're asked to relegate everything down to 10, there's only it's, so many you can list. It's yeah. hard for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So Sarah wins the most unique list. And with that, we will leave you with the cliffhanger. Tune in next week for our official top 10 movie list of 2022. Special thanks to our guest, Jeffrey Overstreet, who has written the book Through a Screen Darkly, looking closer at beauty, truth, and evil in the movies. And special thanks also to Sarah Welch Larson, who wrote the book Becoming Alien, the beginning and the end of evil in science fiction's most idiosyncratic film franchise. She also is the co-host of a very good movie podcast called Seeing and Believing. Thanks to them for being here, and they will be back next week for part two. We love movies! We like movies! We love movies! And those were my kids, eight and six, chiming in on their love for movies. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Veterans of Culture War podcast. Wherever you like to get podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review as that helps others find our show. You can follow us on Twitter at VCWPod. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And you can go to Zach's website to see his art and music he creates, muzak.bandcamp.com. Thanks again for coming on down to the VCW. And remember, as always, the podcast is free, but you still need to tithe 10%.